You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life. If you are a parent, a grandparent, an adult who fulfills the role of a a parent in any child's life, I want you to know there is valuable help coming your way for helping your young person, your teenager, to navigate this crazy world that we live in. The book is Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues, and it's written by Jessica Peck. Now, Jessica is a pediatric nurse practitioner. She's also a clinical professor at the Baylor University Louise Harrington School of Nursing, as well as president of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. And you guys... Jessica, I just read you sang in Carnegie Hall. (laughs) Yes, I did. Indeed, that is true. How did that come about? Well, I went with a celebration concert tour, and we went with Taranda Green and Charles Billingsley and Point of Grace, and I sang there at Christmas time. How fun is that? What a fantastic memory. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no no way was I going to ignore that. I had to know. (laughs) (laughs) That's the story. Oh, well, to the topic at hand, because we've been talking about your book all morning, and, um, you know, I'm kind of curious, because I was chatting with Eric a little bit off the air, too, and I was thinking back to, like, 200 years ago when I was a teenager, how different (laughs) the world was then compared to what it is now, and we hear so much now about the mental health of our kids, and our teenagers in particular. Um, what, What do you see that's happening with our kids just in general that this is such a hot topic now Jessica because it was not when I was a teenager so I'm just curious about how we perceive how things have changed and what really has changed over the years and how it's impacting them well you read off some of my credentials Kelly but my important credentials are that I'm also a mom of four teenagers myself I've got kids who are 19 17 15 and 13 so I am living all of this personally and professionally and as a professor I'm very alarmed about the research emerging on the current status of mental health in teens today I see a deeply anxious and depressed generation of teens who are deeply disconnected from real meaningful relationships in real time and their parents are just feeling like they need to help but they don't know what to do and as a pediatric nurse practitioner I know firsthand up close and personal that life isn't perfect and I am meeting families behind closed doors and points of crisis at their greatest point of need in a place they never thought they'd be and as a mom I see my own kids at home struggling and I know the pain and heartbreak of wanting so badly to be a good parent but feeling like you're failing miserably so I think this is a perfect storm of COVID with social isolation we have challenges that our teens are facing today that we never faced and avalanche of bad news and and challenges coming through social media we have sexting vaping cyberbullying pornography in a very different way that we encountered when we were young and all of these things are very real realities for kids 
that are creating a perfect storm of external cultural influence, ineffective coping mechanisms, and disconnection from real dialogue and intentional relationship building. And so the good news is, though, as parents and grandparents and other people who are influential in teens' lives, we can use our old-school wisdom in collaboration with their fresh world perspective to create opportunities for meaningful conversations to build healthy relationships to navigate these issues together. And that's what I've done in Behind Closed Doors is created a Dr. Nurse Mama, a guide on the <laughs> side of my professor brain, hands-on nursing experience, and heart as a mom. Well, Dr. Peck, when I look back at my, my, my life, I'm only in my 20s, so it's not, don't have to look too far. Um, growing up as a kid, I had crippling anxiety and just irrational fear to, of change. And I didn't know about that until I took a human development class in college. And I was reading the textbook, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this textbook was written about me. And so how do we get from a place of seeing anxiety as something that is minor to a place of knowing how big and dangerous it actually is? This is such a great question, and I appreciate your perspective so much. In your early 20s, I could be your mom. (laughs) I have a daughter almost in her early 20s. And what I see about your generation is that you have the courage to talk about mental health in a way that previous generations just have not been able to do. Every generation has had their own generational trauma, but we've just dealt with it in a different cultural way. World War II, they came back with trauma, but it was, you had to be brave, you had to be stoic, and then we had the silent generation, seen and not heard, and then that led to the free love generation who protested war because they saw how emotionally unavailable their parents were as a result of their traumatic experiences. And then, you know, we had Gen X, who were the latchkey kids because their parents were, you know, trying to deal with their own trauma and then gen x tried to overcompensate and we you know raised millennials which are so unfairly uh, given such a bad rap but now we have gen z and just look at simone biles who withdrew from the united states olympics and immediately people started calling her a villain or a hero and the truth is she was neither she was just a young woman who had mental health concerns and so i think there are it is increasing in prevalence just because our world is becoming more complicated and more traumatic. I mean, we're not made to absorb all of the world's bad news at the speed of a click on our smartphone, and yet that's what we're doing. So I think it's a combination of those things. It's harder to live in today's generation, but you're more courageous to talk about it. You know, that is one of the things that I do really appreciate about and I'll say this to you, Eric, your generation, because my son is part of it. My, my son, Jessica, is 24, and he speaks very openly about mental health issues, and um, he identifies uh, the anxiety in his life and, and what he's feeling, and he has sought out help to cope with it, whereas my generation and the generation of my parents um, would be more inclined to either be very quiet about it or especially with my parents' generation, and this is something I would love for you to address They were quiet out of a sense of shame. And we have so many Christian families that tune in to Moody Radio and listen. And I know when your child veers left of center and gets off the path from the way they were raised, that then there can be a sense of shame. Parents may wonder, well, what is everybody else going to think about what my kid is doing? And really, we need to be thinking about how to get them some help. What would you say to encourage parents, grandparents, anyone who's in a parental role right now, about how to deal with the shame that they feel. What do they need to do with that? 
I love this question, and I'll tell you, I started a podcast called the Dr. Nurse Mama Podcast that I co-host with a pastor to explore these exact issues. What is the church doing well, and where do we need to step it up? Because stigma is an unhealthy coping mechanism that we use to deal with our fear that something bad will happen to us or someone we love. It's just social rejection, and we do that because we don't you know, want our kids to be judged, and sometimes we fear that stigma, that social, that threat of social injury more than we fear physical illness or injury or even threats of death that are staring us right in the face. So according to Gallup, you know, 81% of Americans rely on Google for information, but only 16% will tell a trusted friend about a problem that they're having. Something's wrong when we're too insecure to talk to a trusted person about a parenting challenge, but secure enough in our Google answer to handle it. And so I would tell parents, you need a village. Raising kids takes a village. And so who is in your trusted circle? Is that a pastor? Is that a Sunday school teacher? Is that a, a, a relative? Is that a dear friend? Who is it that you trust that you can that can walk through these issues with you? Because most of the time when you tell them, they'll say, oh, I understand. I experienced that too. Look at just on this call. You know, you, you've all shared your personal struggles with anxiety. Chapter one of my book talks about my struggle to accept my daughter's mental health condition. She struggles with anxiety as well and it took me a long time to realize that and now that I have I realize there's such freedom in being able to say yes she struggles with anxiety and this is what we do to help mitigate that and it, unfortunately the the consequences of anxiety and these, this fear if we don't get it taken care of can lead to suicidal thoughts and in your book you mentioned the acronym ASK and when dealing with a teen that expresses suicidal thoughts or anyone that expresses suicidal thoughts. Can you explain what that acronym ASK is? Sure. So this is a really important thing to know that it is okay to talk about suicide. Talking about suicide will not give someone ideas that they didn't have before. And actually, 30% of people who have suicidal thoughts, only 30% of people share those with someone else. So it is perfectly okay to ask plainly about suicide. So A is ask. Ask about that suicide risk. Ask, are you thinking about harming yourself? Are you thinking about killing yourself? And if they say yes, then you need to ask if they have a plan. And if they do, that is an emergent situation. And then as a seek help, seek information on how to, how to get them connected to services. And K is keep, is keep them safe. Make sure that they are safe. And so basically, you just want to ask them um, if they're having suicidal thoughts. Make sure that you're, connect, that you're seeking help and that you're keeping them safe. And that's really a heavy topic that's breaking parent hearts everywhere. My daughter actually wrote her college essay application about how suicide had impacted her own life and her own peer group. But it is accurately reflective of the realities facing pediatric practice today. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote Behind Closed Doors, because I want parents to know that they're not alone. And it can be tough, you know, to talk about these tough topics in such a short segment. But we do address that with compassion and give parents communication skills to have those hard conversations in a way that their teens can receive what they have to say. Jessica, I think one of the most difficult things to deal with where our kids are concerned are the issues that uh, just being on social media 
where, where those issues are concerned, because what follows with social media for some kids is cyberbullying. And it's not been that long ago we've read about cases that have shown up in the court system where someone encouraged another young person to just take their own life and that person did. How do we manage this monstrous world of social media where our kids are concerned? Because they don't want to give up their screens. That's a connection for them. Such a great question. And actually, the opening story, and behind closed doors, I start with behind my clinic door. And I tell you a story that I've encountered in clinical practice. And you might wonder, how does a kid who's using social media end up in my clinic? And it's because of all of those problems. And no parent ever that you mentioned, no parent ever walks in and says, you know, my kid is having trouble sleeping and not having a good appetite. I think they might be having some trouble on social media. That's never how it happens. They ask, maybe they have the flu, maybe they have mono. And then after I start asking questions, um, a lot of times I will encounter something that goes back to social media. And parents often focus on screen time or monitoring software. And honestly, I don't use either one of those with any four of my teens because I think that the key here is relationship building. Kids need to have an outlet to talk about things that they encounter on social media. And parents often will adopt a, you know, not my kid mentality. And we don't want to think about our kids experiencing those kinds of things. I completely understand that. But we have to put ourselves in a place where we open the door for disclosure, where we tell our kids they can experience anything, they might experience something and they can always come to us. So just practicing a response like this in the moment, if they disclose something to you that happens on social media saying, I'm sorry this happened to you, this is upsetting, let's let our emotions settle down before we have a deep conversation about this, but I want you to know no matter what, I love you no matter what, and we'll find a way through this together. If you can just do that, you could permanently alter the course of their life and the way that they will see themselves. We need to have hope as parents to see beyond what they might commit as a mistake or something that comes out of inexperience or exploitation or um you know, bullying or even predators that happen online. We need to see beyond that experience and be able to have hope for their future and not let that define who they are. Mm-hmm. I wish we had at least uh, three hours to really pick all of this <laughs> apart because this is such um, this is such rich content and such important and needed information. I'm glad we're at least getting to have a little bit of a conversation about it, Jessica. One of the things I want to make sure we touch on too. Uh, before we let you get on with your day, is um, the issue of gender identity, LGBTQ plus issues. Uh, How do we, especially as Christian parents, help our kids through navigating that, whether, you know, our kid is concerned about someone who may be suffering because of the way that they identify, or if it's our child that identifies other than than the gender that they were born with. I I know the, the one piece of information that I hold on to is something my pastor said to me regarding any conversation that may be difficult. He just said, lead with love. But how do we navigate our way through that and help our kids? 
such a great question, Kelly. Seeing teens identify as a variety of genders is something I never saw when I first started in pediatric practice 25 years ago. And now I see it in my clinical practice every single day. And uh, you know, the latest Gallup poll tells us that about 11% of Gen Z identifies as gender nonconforming. And that number is higher than any previous reporting or any generation, but it tells us that most parents are not going to experience their teen disclosing a different gender or sexual identity to them, but most parents will help their teen navigate situations in which they will encounter people in their social circle who do. And so parents need to help their teens to confidently navigate those situations with kindness and compassion while holding to their values. And it's important to remember that if you want to influence your teen's worldview, you have to view the world as they see it, and you have to meet them where they are. And the good news here is that despite popular opinion, teens really do value what their parents think and say. And that's why we have to weigh our words carefully because our teens listen intently to what we say about them. And most importantly, they believe us. And so I think, you know, in this issue, it, it, it tends to be top of parents' radar. But my perspective in looking at it is I see a significant number of teens struggling with things like eating disorders, which don't scare parents as much as the gender identity issues, but it is actually the most deadly mental health disorder. And, you know, I see many more teens struggling with some of the other issues here. So I think it's important to have the balance of that and not to let your fear of gender identity issues, which are, which are real, but not let it overshadow some of the other things and keep a balanced view of what your teen Mm -hmm. is facing. I think what you said is is so right. You know, we've got to have a good relationship with our kids. They've got to know that the door is open and they can come and talk to us at any time. And I think it's important, too. I would love for you to weigh in on this, too, um, Jessica. And maybe one of the first conversations you have with your teenager is a conversation about how you have conversations. Um, I know that there are people, and not just my own child, that I've, I've sat with because we've needed to talk about why we are perceiving each other the way we do, maybe as being closed or closed-minded or maybe harsh. And if we can understand each other and realize where the other is truly coming from, that breaks down a wall that can really open up a path to make progress. I could not agree more. You, you can't lecture your way into leveraging behavioral change, and you can't argue your way into right relationship. Mm-hmm. Again, if you want to influence your teen's world worldview, you have to view their world and meet them where they are. And one of the things I did in Behind Closed Doors was to translate a professional skill that I use in practice called motivational interviewing to four simple steps for parents. It's called the Love Your Teen Model. It's four easy steps. Listen with your face. So many times we don't give our teens our full attention. We don't listen. And just recently I did a suicide prevention event in my community where we had hundreds of parents and teens who came in and I had a table for the teens to say what I wish my parents would do for me or say for me. And all over the whole table was one post-it note with one word on with post-it notes with one word on it that said, listen, they teens want us to listen. They know we can't fix all their problems. They're not expecting us to do that. So listen with your face. Offer open-ended questions. Instead of leading with lecturing, start to learn to ask questions first. Validate their feelings and then explore next steps together. If you would like to get your hands on this book, and by the way, again, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Jessica Peck about her book, Behind Closed Doors, 
a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. It has just been released through Thomas Nelson Publishers. You can find it at Amazon, and we'll post a link to it uh, where you can get to it from our Facebook page, Mornings with Kelly and Steve, as well. Um, Jessica, there is so much more here. I would love to have you get back on the air and, and discuss some more of the issues that kids are going through whenever you may have time to do that. But thank you for what you have put into writing this book. I know it's uh, you've got a lot of experience treating young people, so you've got the street cred, as our kids say. <laughs> and we know that you know what you're talking about, and it is such a help. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. And I just would say a last word to parents listening. If your kid is struggling, just know that you are not alone. Parenting teens is for the long game. We treat it sometimes like Chia Pet parenting, but it's like parent planting a pineapple. You plant a seed. You may not see anything grow for two years, but you will see you have to have faith that that seed you planted will bring forth life in, an, in a different season. And I would love to connect with anybody at drnursemama.com. You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life.